Hey you guys, happy Sunday to you. So glad you made it. And happy new year. Come on. 2022 is here you guys. Hope you guys had a great Christmas and New Year's celebration. Um, big question is, are you ready for what we're about to do? We are about to learn the scriptures, learn the way of Jesus together. And my hope and my goal is that this is just one little building block in your discipleship to Jesus and that we together are more transformed by him today than ever. So, um, and by the way, I know the mountain got really good these last couple of weeks and you guys have managed to come here and prioritize this time and I could not be more grateful um, that you chose to spend this morning gathering in the name of Jesus with us. So let's do this, you guys. Let's stand for a scripture reading. This comes from Colossians, which you might not see because of the guitar and the keys. Um, well, this is what the scripture says. Now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I've become its servant by the commission that God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. And to this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Amen. That's the word of the Lord. Go ahead and find a seat. So it is day two of the new year. How's it going so far? Good. I've got faith in you that you're still on the wagon. You're drinking less coffee, you're eating less sugar, and I know that after this you're going to go out and you're going to close those activity rings. Stay with it, stick with it, keep it up. Only 363 days to go from here. So if you, uh, if you know me, you know that um, I love the beginning of a new year. Ever since I was a kid, I've always been sort of type A and really driven and optimistic and idealistic, and I love goal setting. Um, so um, for some of you, you just came off of a really fun week celebrating Christmas. This kind of feels like my Christmas, the first week of a new year. I absolutely love it. Um, here's why. For some of you, last year was like a triumph. You started a new career or you were newly married or something other uh, something else that was really exciting happened. Others of you, uh, 2021 was a nightmare. Like maybe you're still hungover from all the COVID drama or whatever. Let's not get into it. Stressful. Um, but whatever the case, 2022 is a new life chapter. And it's filled with opportunity. And the reason we make resolutions is because we want to make the most out of those opportunities. We want to be healthy. We want to build wealth. We want to enjoy our people and make great memories together and, and all of that. Now, at Riverbend, our conviction is that all of life is spiritual, meaning that all of the stuff that you've resolved to do differently this year has value and even kingdom value if you see your life as worship to Jesus like the scriptures teach. And I know that many of you do see life that way. 
Or put another way, 525,600 minutes will click by this year, and you have the chance to make each one of those moments count. And you're here for about 90 of those minutes on the first opportunity that you had to be here, which, again, I'm super, super grateful for. A lot of life is making the right kind of habits and making the right priorities and then sticking with them and staying committed to them. So again, so glad that you're here and chose to be here. We don't want to take it lightly. I certainly don't take it for granted, which is why today what we want to do is we want to just explore the question, where do we believe that Jesus is leading us in 2022 as a church and as a community of Jesus followers? What does Jesus want us to do, and how do we make the most of these opportunities and these minutes that we have in this year? Does that sound good? Good. Okay, awesome, because I'm super excited where New Year's resolutions meet the Bible is kind of where I geek out. This is my jam, and I absolutely love it, so I hope you can hang. Um, I've been looking forward to this for months. Now, a couple of disclaimers. Number one, um, I've said this before, but I need to say it again. We don't believe that vision for God's church comes from clever pastors. And you're thinking to yourself, like, well, that's a relief because you're not that clever. It. And I agree with you. And, and that's not what church is about, actually. We believe that Jesus gave the church his vision in the Bible. And so our job is to interpret his vision from his life and his teachings and from the story of the scriptures with precision and clarity. And then we want to apply them into the soil of our 21st century cultural context in Central Oregon. So our job is not to come up with exciting vision or dream up things of ourselves. It's to return to the scriptures and to look at the life and the teachings of Jesus and then apply that vision that he gives us to the soil of our context, plant it in our city and see how God will grow it. Which, let me tell you, that is a huge task. In fact, the last 2,000 years, uh, every generation of Jesus followers in one way or another has been on that mission, if you will, implementing Jesus' vision for like a new multi-ethnic community who's radically committed to him and to one another as family and who are living as witnesses to the risen Jesus in a crazy world that needs his love and needs his reign of peace and all of that. And you know the story of the church. There have been ups and downs, and today we still have a long, and I mean long, ways to go. I actually think that that's really good. I think that that's good, that we can look at Jesus' vision and look at where we are today and say, hey, you know what, there's a gap and we have a lot of work to do because I don't know about you, but I just don't feel like what I need is a God whose dreams are small and uninspiring. Wouldn't that be a shame if the God that we worshiped and the God that we followed and the God um, that we were patterning our life after had a small and un uninspiring vision for life. No, that's not what you and I need. If you're going to go all in with your whole life in following after Jesus, then his dream needs to do more than that. His dream needs to satisfy that deepest longing that you have for transcendent purpose. We are people who need to be a part of something that's bigger than us, and we need transcendent purpose because deep down, that's, there's something in us that wants to be a part of something that's big. And a, like a life filled with 
small, uninspiring visions or visions that are all about us is just coming up way short. And so thank God, Jesus' vision delivers, delivers in spades, if you ask me. Um, So part of my job here today and also just throughout the journey of our church is to uh, expose and reveal for you just the grandeur and the majesty of Jesus' vision and how awesome it is to follow after him. So that's disclaimer one. Disclaimer two is that if you've called Riverbend home and you've been here for a minute, where Jesus is leading us this year is very much in the same direction that he's already taken us. And that's because he's not like chaotic or haphazardly changing his mind about what to do with us. This year, we're going deeper, not different. We're going deeper, not different. So we're God's taken us so far has been beautiful. Like, we've been on this great journey together. I honestly wouldn't change a thing. God's done a, a lot in our community over these past few years. And in 2022, he's taking us, I believe, much, much deeper into his heart for his church. And you and I get to be a part of that. And, and really what you're hearing today is, is just a, a, of how we're sort of adding nuance and strategy and giving you a more focused call to action and more, uh, more focused invitations to participate in the life of the church here at Riverbend. And um, thankfully, church is about more than just 5% of the people standing on a stage giving nice TED Talks on the Bible. It's about much more than that. It's about each and every one of us being called into our God-given vocations and callings. And you have been gifted by God. You have the Spirit of God in you. You also have a sphere of influence that I don't have. And it's my joy, and it's one of our jobs here at Riverbend, is to champion those things in you and celebrate those things in you. I think about those of you who work on the college campuses and those, who, those of you who work in the schools and those of you who work in healthcare, those of you who work in creative-type roles and are entrepreneurs and business owners. You each have a vocation and a calling. My job is to champion those things in you. Um, so this year at Riverbend, we're going all in on three main things. We want to reorganize our lives around prayer and worship. We want to grow into maturity in our discipleship to Jesus. And we want to share his love in our world. Three kind of simple things, but I think this is a super robust and challenging vision. Like a a vision that can get you out of bed in the morning and get you excited about what's coming up. So everything from our Sunday gatherings to midweek gatherings to youth gatherings and children's gatherings, alpha gatherings, prayer gatherings, community gatherings, women's and men's gatherings, everything that we're doing is designed to take you deeper into prayer and worship, your discipleship to Jesus, and your love, particularly for the outsider. So many of you are like emerging leaders in that thing that we're doing or Uh, And and you're going to be partnering with the Spirit of God and with us to help sort of take us there. Again, this isn't just something for me to build out and make pretty on our website or sound clean or sound cool. This is about us all being called to action and being moved into the realm of like actually bringing the kingdom of God here on earth as in heaven. So with that, let's again look at Colossians chapter 1. In verse 26, it says this, the mystery... By the way, everything that we're about this year is sort of rooted in this passage that we read a minute ago. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people, to them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, 
which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So this is what Paul is sort of getting at. For, uh, for generations, the prophets have been hinting at and sort of teasing out a future hope where the messianic king, king comes and reigns in peace and he reigns in the heart of his people. Just think back to our Advent series if you were around for that in the book of Isaiah. But as, as is the case with the prophets, they're oftentimes abstract. They're prophetic in nature, right? So they have a bit of metaphor and allegory in them. And so the, the prophets, as they come, Generation after generation, they give us these stories to hope in and these things to get excited about. But as it comes to like the actual fulfillment of those promises, a lot of these people for generations, the people of God were waiting on bated breath uh, for what God was going to do. So there was a lot of mystery as we find here um, and, and anticipation and even unknown in that waiting. So the people of God at the advent of Jesus are looking and longing for the Messiah to come and to feel and to experience the revelation and the true revelation of what Jesus would actually come to do. So essentially what Paul is saying is that all of that is revealed through the ministry of Jesus. So if you are a person who has trusted in him and in the language of the Bible have been born again, then his presence dwells in you. Amen. His presence dwells in you. Now, I know how for some of you, you've been a part of this church for a while, or you've been going to churches for a long time, and you're going, okay, again, with the God is in me message or whatever. Listen, this is not a cliche. This is not a throwaway lyric from some song. This is the hope of glory. That God is in you. Jesus in Matthew 28 says, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And hey, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Love that. So Christ in you, the hope of glory, this promise straight from the mouth of Jesus that he will always be with us. And that command from John chapter 15 that Danny read a minute ago, that um, we are to be like a, a vine, or excuse me, a branch that is connected to the vine. So in the same way that a vine stays connected to a branch, we are to stay connected to Jesus. All of those concepts and others like them that we find in the story of the scriptures is the first primary building block of your spiritual life with God. God is with you. He is in you. And what we have the privilege of doing is cultivating a life of prayer where we experience the presence of God moment by moment, both in these architected, planned gatherings, but also in the ordinary parts of life, which is why here at Riverbend in 2022, we want to reorganize our lives around prayer and around worship. Listen, if you don't cultivate a praying life, you don't even get started in your discipleship to Jesus. And that is not, by the way, uh, like a judgment from me or a criticism from me or the Bible. It just means that you've drastically underestimated the possibility and the potential of your position in Christ. And we don't want to miss out on what Jesus says is normative for us, is the real thing and is the substance of our reality with God. It's relationship with him. And we don't want to underestimate the possibility and potential of our position in Christ. This would be like if you went to Hawaii, as I did last month, 
And in going to Hawaii, you just like stayed in the hotel room the whole time you were there. It's like, man, it'd be such a waste of money and time and opportunity to go all the way across the ocean to one of the most beautiful places on earth and completely miss out on everything it has to offer because you're like watching Netflix or something like that from the hotel bed. It just sounds crazy, and it is crazy. You would never do that because, man, Hawaii is amazing. By the way, side note, me and my family, all of Grace's side of the family, we all went to Hawaii last month, and it was incredible. I love that place, actually, way back when, like 2006, so some of you were like, uh, toddlers or something like that. Um, I went to Bible college over there, and it was such an incredible experience for me. First of all, I like fell in love with the scriptures, but I also fell in love with that place. I love all the water sports and all the natural beauty. It's just insane. So when we go on vacation there, for me, I'm on just cloud nine. There's like very few places I'd rather go than Maui. But Grace and I, we sort of uh, vacation a little bit differently in that I want to get up at the crack of dawn and start like doing stuff, whereas she wants to sleep in and hang out at the beach, which no judgment or shade from me on that, because I know a lot of you enjoy that. But if you, in case you can't tell by looking at me and how white I am, I'm not exactly the person who lays out on the beach to get tan. I just burn and get skin cancer. So, uh, in fact, I just like, I'm just constantly layering on sunscreen again and again. So anyways, so, uh, so we vacation a little bit differently. And so when we go to on vacation, we have to compromise. And that's something we do in all of life. So Grace wants to go to a sandy beach where it's sunny. She can get some sun, hang out, and just enjoy. And I can roll with that. I can compromise because there's usually like a reef or something that I can go explore and spearfish or snorkel or whatever. Or maybe there's a wave that I can surf or bodyboard or something like that. So we have a good time. But this last, this last trip that we went on, um, my, my daughter, Isabel, who's nine, she's starting to, get, to be a strong enough swimmer that she can kind of be my buddy. So I taught her how to surf this go around, and it was crazy fun. We saw all kinds of awesome wildlife. And then I love to snorkel, and while everyone's hanging out on the beach, I'm like, oh, man, I want to go snorkeling and spearfishing and all that. And um, at first, Isabel didn't want to go. She was not into it. She didn't really know how the headgear worked. She was a little bit confused by that and a little bit nervous because she didn't know if she was going to see like a shark or an eel or something like that. And so I just said, hey, no problem. And I went out by myself. And then I saw like this massive family of sea turtles. And it's like one of her favorite animals. And I was like, oh, this is perfect. So I swam back to shore really fast. I'm like, babe, I promise you, if you figure out this whole snorkel thing, I'm going to take you back to where there's all these sea turtles and you can hang out with them and swim with them and all of that. And so finally she did. She worked up the courage. She came out with me. And it was like her whole life had began in that moment. She, she absolutely loved it. She, I couldn't tear her out of the water hours later. She just loved the whole experience. And so it was like this thing that she was terrified to do initially that all of a sudden she's hooked and addicted to. So the whole rest of the week I had my snorkeling buddy right next to me and we saw all kinds of really awesome stuff together. And for me, that's kind of like what the praying life is like. It's like, man, I, I didn't really know what to expect or if I could get into it. And then all of a sudden I was hooked. I was am addicted, in a way, to the presence of God. And that I've just encountered the beauty of God. I've seen him, I know what he's like, know who he is, and every time I meet with him, it's just like the scripture says, if you draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. 
It's like this is life to my body and to my soul and to who I am. And so my prayer for you is changing a bit because there was a time where I would just pound it into you. Come on out to the times of prayer. Cannot wait for you to pray with us and all of that. And I'm going to keep doing that. Don't worry. You're like, we weren't worried. <laughs> we wish you'd stop. But I'm going to keep inviting you to prayer. And we're going to keep inviting and adding new times of prayer. So that all throughout the week, this will be the, the prayer chapel. Where you can drop in and out of, hear from God, be in the presence of God. So far, we're doing it three times each and every week. Tuesday mornings from 8 to 9. Wednesday mornings, 6.30 to 7.30, and Thursday evenings from 6.30 to 7.30. Many more times like that are going to come in the coming year because, um, frankly, you need this. You, you need, I, I, I cannot be your pastor and not challenge you to come and join me in the presence of God and to cultivate a praying life. This is the only way I know how to do what I do is to teach you how to pray. And sometimes you guys get annoyed with me because you come and you talk about what's wrong in life and I go, how's your prayer, how's your prayer life? And you're like, oh, dude, you just, you preached that on Sunday and now you're talking to me on it on Tuesday. I've got this thing going on in my, and I'm going, exactly. This is why we need the presence of God. So get ready because there'll be far more exhortations like that in the year to come. But, but, what my, my prayer for you is now this, that the Lord would get you hooked on his presence. And that you would be like I am and like some of you are addicted to him in that way. Where no one could talk you out of personal and corporate prayer. That the most important part of your day and your week and your time is to spend it either alone or with us in the presence of God. This is who we are. This is where we gain life. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So that's my new prayer. And I, I just have to say, like, just get ready for that, because he's going to answer that. He's going to answer that. Psalm 27.4, which I've often quoted, One thing I ask of the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to meditate on him in his temple. And this is King David. Right when King David is being threatened uh, another time. He's got an army that's coming after him and his people, and he's saying there's one thing in life that I need, and it's the presence of God. Now, we often give, uh, I hear a lot of people, again, no, no judgment, but I, I hear from a lot of people, you know, I would be more devoted to prayer, but my life is just so crazy busy right now. I just really don't have the time for that. And um, I understand where that's coming from. I have a pretty full life myself. Normally, I'm working about 60 or so hours, which is a full, full week. I'm exhausted like you are often. Um, and you have a lot going on, too. So this isn't to de detract from the things that you have going on. But if you ask Dallas Willard, who's one of the sort of the early formers or framers of this, the most recent spiritual formation movement, he would say that Jesus would argue that you don't have time not to pray. Because if your life is filled with consequence and meaning and purpose, and you're living for the kingdom of God, and you've got important things in your life, then you cannot afford to not pray about it. You cannot afford to not center your life on the presence of God. Amen. 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 You, can't, you don't have time not to pray. You don't have time not to pray. So here's what you can expect from us in the coming year. Um, when it comes to prayer. 
Um, we're going to continue to offer more consistent rhythms of corporate prayer. More consistent rhythms of corporate prayer. So Tuesday mornings, Wednesday mornings, Thursday evenings, get ready. There'll be four or five more. Come and tell me if you can't make those times work because we'll start another one when you can make it work. Test me on that. I mean it. Number two, we're going to offer more opportunities for you to receive prayer. So we have a prayer team here at Riverbend. Many of you have gone through our prayer course. In addition to that, we've got another training that we like to take our prayer people through. Um, and we just want to create and cultivate a culture here where it's normal for you. If you need healing for something or if you are asking God for a miracle or if there's reconciliation that needs to happen in your life for one reason or another or if you need a breakthrough in your life for this reason or that reason or if you're feeling shame or guilt or distant from God, that it's a normal thing for you to do to stand up, raise a hand, and we would have a crew of you who would rally around them and pray. That's what's coming at Riverbend, and you can get ready for that and be a part of that. Number three, um, we are going to be improving and doing some new classes for you to learn how to pray. Man, uh, you will get to the point where your praying life is just, um, just as normal as you making a meal for a couple of your friends or just as simple and as routine for you as getting up and hopping in the shower. That's what's going to happen in your praying life. But I understand that for many of you, currently, it just feels like there's a wall, there's a barrier between you and God. You don't know how to pray. And so we just want to do our very best to remove that obstacle for you and to just show you how simple it can be and how real and meaningful it can be to cultivate a praying life. And so um, we've done some classes that We've created ourselves, and then we've also uh, been using um, Pete Gregg, the, the founder of the 24-7 prayer movement out of the UK. He's got a great book on how to pray and then an eight-week study that goes along with it. We're going to be doing more stuff like that in the coming year. And in fact, there's more resources that they are putting out that's fantastic. So we're going to be going through some of that as well. So you can expect that if you're feeling like, okay, dude, I'm, I'm happy to pray, would love to pray, but I'm stuck, the, the prayer courses will be coming. Number four. Uh, we're also going to have like a new uh, refreshed resolve to pray for revival in our city. One of the reasons why many of you um, may not be interested in coming to prayer gatherings is because historically prayer gatherings are horrendously boring. And they're horrendously boring because we're not imaginative enough in our praying and our visions for prayer are way too small and we keep asking God to take away our colds and for us to make it home safe from work on Friday night and all this lame stuff that's not really worth, it's maintenance, it's not worth your attention and it's not on par with the grandeur and the majesty of God. And so we are praying, in fact, this church was birthed out of a passion to see a revival to the gospel or an awakening to the gospel in Central Oregon. Um, we are so happy that you are here wherever you're at in your journey with Jesus, but we did not plant this church with the design of making a bunch of church people feel safe and comfortable and to join the club. We've actually launched this church because we want to see people enter the kingdom of God and say yes to Jesus. People who are historically far from him saying yes to him, being saved and being welcomed into the family. That's why we are here and you have the opportunity to make disciples from within that movement. But it's not a passive thing. You are being called to action. And that's the only thing that can actually get me out of bed in the morning, get me excited to come to a prayer meeting, is if we're praying for something more than our colds. Amen? Amen. Come on. All right. And number five, 
um, we are developing a more deliberate strategy to intercede for our city. Um, people who would never ask for prayer or come to a church gathering, we want to create opportunity to pray for the needs of our city. Uh, Danny and Lauren designed a really cool sticker uh, that just has a QR code and is an invitation to pray. None of our branding's on it. We're not trying to get pats on the back. We're just going to be handing out these stickers for you to go to your places of work and the shops and the places that you frequent and stuff like that. And the, you can put that sticker up wherever there's a bulletin board or wherever they'll let you. And it'll just say, how can we pray for you? Scan this QR code and then fill out a quick form. And then you and I will join together in praying for the needs of the people in our city. That's what we plan to do. That's one of the strategies that we see going forward. That's a simple idea, but I think it's going to uh, be, prove fruitful. Now, along, you'll notice that I say we're traveling deeper into prayer and also worship because prayer and worship are inextricably linked in the Bible. In fact, anytime you see like a movement of praying people, there, are also, there is also a new movement of music that's being birthed out of the prayer lives of that, of that community. Because when you pray with this kind of fervency and this kind of hunger, it produces more than just more prayers. It also produces a new song in your heart. And the reason why I say that, I understand where m many of us are coming from. I'm not a musical person. I don't actually consider myself that creative of a person, although Danny tells me that I should see myself that way. And there are some creative streaks in me. But I'm not a music or a worship person per se. So I know how some of you might be feeling when I say to you that prayer and worship are inextricably linked. And the reason why I say that is because at a certain point, words are not enough to express the genuine heart and the genuine uh, emotion that we experience as we pray and give praise to God. It's why singing is such an important part of just about every move of God that you've ever ever read about or seen or heard about in the Bible. So prayer and worship is integral and integrated. And this is going to take a, what, what I'm inviting you into or what I, what I believe that the, the scriptures and Jesus are challenging you to do is to not just go, okay, great, yep, that's right, I forgot, I need to pray, so I'll call out a few more minutes when I think of it, or maybe I'll put a little alarm in my phone and I'll pray a little bit more this year. All that's fine, please do that, but, and please don't hear this as judgment from me, but certainly what we're talking about is actually reorganizing your life around prayer and worship. Just like you reorganize your, your, your life around eating healthier and working it out more and all of the other things, you've uh, rearranged your, your finances a bit so that you can save more and plan better for retirement and all of that. We're talking about this truth traveling deeper than just to our minds and be like, oh yeah, that's a good idea, I should do that. We're actually saying, no, we're, I'm gonna look at my week, I'm gonna look at my month, I'm gonna look at my year, I'm gonna look at my calendar, and I'm going to determine where I can shift priorities so that I can make room for this kind of stuff in my life. And uh, so that's the invitation, is to reorganize your priorities and your habits around a life of prayer. Which leads us to our next point. Back to Colossians 1 for a minute. He is the one we proclaim. I love that. Admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. And to this end, 
I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Ah, man, it's awesome. Okay, so way back in 2018, um, some of you were around during those days. Most of you were not. Um, Back in 2018, we began laying out our our vision uh, for spiritual formation, which is a discipleship movement that was pioneered by theologians, or at least in the most recent era, was pioneered by guys like Richard Foster and theologians like Dallas Willard, who you often hear us quote up here. Um, and, and the spiritual formation movement in the late 20th century is sort of built on the premise that at the center of Jesus' message is an invitation to become his disciple or to follow after him or to reorganize our lives around the three goals of being with him, becoming like him, and doing what he did. For example, Matthew chapter 7, the, the, the end of the Sermon on the Mount, which we spent much of last year sort of picking apart and exploring the nuances of together, um, it says there at the end that, that the way of Jesus is, is not like a set of ideals and, and shame around failure, but it is a way of life to practice. It's a way of life to, to, uh, to order your life around. For example, in Matthew chapter 7, it says that the one, uh, Jesus says, the one who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like the foolish man whose house will not withstand the storms of life. But, but, the, the wise man is, 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 is the one who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. And they will be able to withstand the storms of life because their house was built on the rock. So the difference between the wise and the foolish man is practice. It's not, a, it's, it's not moral performatism or performance. It's, it's actually about putting into practice the way of life that Jesus taught us. And again, um, if you're interested in that, the Celebrations of the Disciplines by Richard Foster is like a really good like foyer into um, to the spiritual formation movement. But Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 says, Therefore... I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercies, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform yourselves to the patterns of this world. Don't be transformed into the image of culture, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, perfect, pleasing will. So I say all of that to say this. This year at Riverbend, we want to grow into maturity in our discipleship to Jesus. We don't want to stay stuck in our stage of discipleship, but we actually want to grow in wisdom. We actually want to grow in our sanctification, become more like Jesus. Today in the West, we're living in the phenomenon of extended adolescence. At this point, you've probably heard sociologists or read articles about uh, talk about this, or, or, or maybe you read an article or something like that. I learned uh, recently that the average American man by age 21 has spent over 10,000 hours playing video games. Well, that's a true fact about our culture, isn't it? Which, by the way, according to Malcolm Gladwell, 10,000 hours is the inflection point where you achieve mastery in a skill, which means that most American men by age 21 are masters of video games but probably just about nothing else. And that's anecdotal. <laughs> Man, I'm really going, I'm really like putting my finger there on the pressure point, aren't I? That's anecdotal and, and, and just kind of a little bit of a joke, but it's also emblematic, I think, of the actual bigger issue, which is that life is confusing and it's hard to move into maturity 
It's actually way easier to distract ourselves with video games and fill in the blank with whatever else. I'm not just picking on guys here. We distract ourselves into spiritual oblivion, in the words of Andrew Sullivan. And we do that because life is confusing and hard, and it's difficult to move into maturity. And it doesn't happen by osmosis. It happens through intentional planning. And it takes habits and forming those habits over years. So, so, so often in life, there's inspirational ideas. We've got way more uh, inspiring TED Talks on the internet than we've ever had. And we've got external pathways for success. Here's how you go up and to the right in life. We've got way too much data and information on all of that stuff that you and I can go out and find for ourselves. But what we don't have and what we desperately need is pathways for the formation of our character that matures us in life. That's what we really need, you guys. So uh, because of this, so many people feel stuck in their stage of adolescence but don't know how to move on into maturity. And when people talk about, well, man, why would I ever be a part of church? Which I hear that a lot. Like, no, of course I'm not doing church. It's just made up of all kinds of really imperfect people and all of this. And trust me, I hear that objection and it makes complete sense to me. But the reality is that we need to pioneer a robust discipleship model where in it's like the ecosystem for you and I to actually grow out of spiritual infancy and adolescence and into maturity. And we genuinely believe that, um, that the spiritual formation movement, which is to take the words of Jesus seriously and put them into practice in life, is one way to go about that, and I think a very important way. So immaturity in our culture, social context, has begun to colonize the church, right? So let me say that again. The uh, immaturity in our social context is colonizing the church. And so now, now we see that. And, and again, that's one of the pushbacks why many of your friends don't come to church anymore and don't take part in, in Christian gatherings or don't involve themselves in a community is because they, they've seen all of the impotency and, and, and anemia in the church. We have all of these great words, but they don't translate to actual life change. And one of the most frustrating things that you and I have both encountered is the person who's been, quote unquote, walking with Jesus and in the church for 50, 60 years plus, but they're not anything like Jesus and they don't love people. That's not discipleship to Jesus. The metric of what it is to be a follower of Jesus is that you love well, particularly the outsiders and people who disagree with you. That is love. There's no reason why people outside of the faith don't, aren't, aren't drawn to an anemic and impotent church. Because we don't know how to love people. And that's deeply problematic. And it's why most people, if they've deconstructed their Christian faith, that is why most people deconstructed their Christian faith. And so what needs to take place of that cynicism is a robust discipleship model where we actually become more like Jesus and it works itself out into our lives where we actually love human beings. So oftentimes we blame pastors and uh, we blame churches, like the evangelical movement has taken a lot of blame for the state of the church today. And I think that a lot of that is well-placed and it's, and, it's, and it's good. 
and I don't want to push back on it too much. But at the same time, we are up against a discipleship machine in our culture. The algorithms that are on the apps that you check multiple times a day and the consumer rituals around holidays and that are being bombarded on your screen each and every day and entertainment that is baked in an, idea, in an ideology. All of those things, they form us and they shape us into the image of our culture. So by the time our kids are seven, eight, and nine years old, they are being forced into a stream or a, uh, uh, they're being formed into the image of not Jesus, but our, our culture. So this is why we need a counterformation into the way of Jesus. We need practices, we need habits, we need rhythms of life that actually retrain what we love, retrain what we focus on, which is again why a praying life is at the center of everything that we do. So, so often uh, when it comes to the modern evangelical movement, we are easily persuaded by bad false doctrine. We're not rooted and grounded like the scriptures teach us to be. Or in the language of Hebrews chapter five, you should be able to eat meat now, but you guys are still on the bottle, which is embarrassing. Or other, or other times we categorize other people by their natural categories or in the language of second Corinthians chapter five, we no longer look at people through their worldly, earthly point of view. We see them as Christ sees them. Or we give into the flesh. We live in this sort of place of perpetual sin. Or we lack discernment in complex issues. Or we're slaves to the opinions of others. All of these things are the symptoms of the greater reality that our culture has colonized our church and we're actually formed into the image of our culture. We're adding Jesus to the mix as though that's going to actually shift things. No, we need to say Jesus is King and Lord. We bow to him and we learn from him his way by following his teachings, his practices, and his habits. So the reason why you are so deeply dissatisfied with that anemia and me even talking about it gets you frustrated and upset. The reason that's the case is because that's not what your life is for. You have been destined by God to grow into spiritual maturity. That's what God has for you. God has for you spiritual maturity. John Tyson, if you, if you don't know him, you, you should podcast him or read his books. He's fantastic. He's a pastor out of New York City. And um, in his book on becoming a creative minority, he writes that you haven't been rescued from your sin to squander your de destiny in childlike or adolescent faith. You've actually been created for a lifestyle that breeds spiritual maturity, a lifestyle patterned after Jesus himself. Dallas Willard writes, the most important thing about you is not the things you achieve, it's the person you become. So this is why at Riverbend, we want to this year travel much deeper into spiritual formation. Dallas Willard writes about a curriculum for Christ-likeness where we actually possess the qualities and the characteristics of being able uh, to actually live the Sermon on the Mount in a meaningful way. And we can live the teachings of Jesus and it's not something that is by mistake or coincidental. It's because we've actually patterned our life after him. 
So again, here's how we expect to travel deeper into this spiritual formation, this journey of spiritual formation together. The first thing is that we are one of the early pilot churches in a brand new ministry that's launched by um, a friend of ours and a mentor of mine, pastor out of Portland named John Mark Comer, called Practicing the Way. Um, Elizabeth's older brother and a pastor of Bridgetown Church has been extremely formative in the formation of our church's theology and how we tend to do things here, how we've architected the leadership structure and all of that. Practicing the Way is a really phenomenal resource that is designed to help the church actually move out of the passive environment that we're all in together now and into actively practicing the way of Jesus together. We've been sort of included in this fun little pilot program where we will be experimenting. So if you're like an early adopter and like to read and nuance things out and help contribute to the, like the future of something, we would love for you to be a part of that. And in the coming months, we are going to be implementing some of the tools that John Mark and the crew um, at Practicing the Way have developed so that we can actually move out of the passive environment and into actually discipling after Jesus together, which is going to be super, super fun. Another thing that we're going to be doing uh, to travel deeper into the story of the scriptures is um, using the new app by the Bible Project, which if you know, if you've been around long, you know I'm a huge fan of the Bible Project. They just released an app. App that basically is a consolidation of absolutely everything that's really awesome about what they've done into a super clean and really easy to use app. And basically the idea here is that, man, the scriptures is a long book that's rather complex. Some of it makes a lot of sense to us, but there's a lot of it that's hard for us to understand or wrap our heads around. The Bible Project has done such a high quality, uh, such a high level of, um, of scholarship, and they have brought it and made it extremely accessible to us. So we're going to be doing a study alongside this new app by the Bible Project. Again, I think it's going to be amazing. Also on Sunday mornings, we're going to be doing an in-depth verse by study through the book of Galatians, which is one of my favorites. You are going to love it. Um, and then we're also going to be doing more classes, classes on community, classes on prayer, how to read your Bible, and all of that. So this is how we are going to this year move into a deeper, uh, move deeper into the spiritual formation movement and actually become disciples of Jesus who mature. Which leads us to our last and final point which is that, like I said a minute ago, maturity in Christ breeds genuine love for one another, but also for the outsider. And this year at Riverbend, we want to share his love with our world. And that is a big statement, an all-encompassing statement. But we've got a lot of work to do to both get the message out about Jesus' love, but to also embody the mercy and compassion that Jesus has for our neighbors and our, um, the members of our community. So one of the ways that we do this, you know, you know if you've been around, is through Alpha. Alpha is um, something we have done for the last couple of years, 10 weeks of dinner conversations around life, faith, and meaning. Um, and basically this is a way for you to invite your non-believing friends who want to have conversation about Jesus, but don't want to be pummeled over their head by a pastor or um, even come to a church gathering. So we create a third space in a brew pub or a coffee shop or something like that so that people feel comfortable to come and we just 
share the love of Jesus over the course of dinners and conversation. I personally have found it to be one of the most meaningful ways that we can get the message out about Jesus in a way that everyone actually enjoys the process rather than sort of feeling like the spiritual conversation is stunted. And you guys know if you've been a part of it that it starts out kind of medium size or whatever. This last round grew to over 50 people by the time we were done. And it's just a really awesome way to inspire these kinds of conversations. We're doubling down on Alpha this year, meaning we need more of you to serve and to help. It also is a really resource-heavy thing. It takes a lot of money to buy everybody dinner for 10 weeks, but it's such a meaningful way to do it, and we wouldn't do it any other way. There's other costs associated with it as well, so it's a big part of what we do and why it's important that we, uh, that we all support it together. Um, also, um, <laughs> I always pray during Alpha. For, for me, I didn't even go to the actual Alpha things because I'm the pastor and, and could potentially intimidate, and that's not what we want. We want the ratio to be right where you are there with your friends who don't follow Jesus, and there's not a pastor in the front of, of the room saying all kinds of things to intimidate. We actually want to create a safe, comfortable space for people to explore those questions. But I am... Uh, championing and backing Alpha by sitting right here and praying um, whenever we have an Alpha gathering. And I want to invite you to be a part of that as well um, because that's not the JV squad. That's an extremely important responsibility um, is to pray for a salvation during Alpha. So Alpha is one of the ways we get, uh, get the message out. Over the next month, we're going to be talking about what it looks like to actually share faith meaningfully. So we'll talk a bit about Alpha between now and the end of January. And then in March, we're going to be launching another round of Alpha. I want to invite you to be, again, a part of that. Um, but then I, I want to just end with this, because the love of Jesus um, is both something that we share in word, but also something that we share in deed. And we often do one without the other. Um, but this is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 25. He says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. And all the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate the people one from the other as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. So let's stop there for a second. What you're, what you're witnessing here, what you're, the picture that is being described is when Jesus returns in all of his glory to make everything right in heaven and on earth, to establish his eternal reign of peace forever. Scripture says there will be no end to his reign. And he comes riding a white horse and he's sitting on a glorious throne. This is the thing that we are all hoping in. And this is what we are sort of, are, not sort of, actually aiming our life at. Your life if Jesus isn't returning to set up his kingdom, if you, if you live for Jesus and that's not the end of the story, then we're living off the plot. But if Jesus is coming back, and that's when his glory shines around us and that's when the new creation comes. And the best thing that we could do is to live our entire lives for Jesus. Is to give him everything. And this is what he will say. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, 
you who are blessed by my Father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison or go visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you that whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. So what we learn here is that this is what it is to love. to willingly give of ourselves, to willingly give of our time, our energy, our money, to those who are outside the faith, to those who are on the margins of society, to those who've been forgotten, maybe are a bit offbeat or maybe misunderstood or not cared for. Jesus says this is actually of like supreme importance. And that when we do those things, when we care for the practical needs of the people around us and we showcase his mercy and compassion, we're actually doing it unto him. We're doing it unto him. And this is our dream for Riverbend, that we would know what it is to pray and we pray with fervency. We know what it is to worship and we do so with glad hearts. That we would actually be growing into maturity in our discipleship to Jesus and that there would be nothing off limits for him that we would love indiscriminately our friends, neighbors, and the members of our community. And so as I wrap up a message like this, the the call to action is really just very simple. It's just, will will you go all in with us on this? I know you've got a lot happening this year. I know you've got a lot of priorities. Now you got a lot of things that matter to you in life and plans and all that. But will you be one of the courageous ones who like will actually reorder life a bit? Pattern your life after Jesus. Will you join in with us in all of this? I can tell you where I will be. Tuesday mornings, Wednesday mornings, Thursday evenings, Sunday mornings. I just want to invite you to be part of that. The invitation is yours. Let's stand together. Father, we just want to say thank you for how Jesus came into this world and made known the mysteries from generations past. We thank you you haven't left us as orphans, but you've actually made us your sons and your daughters. And you've indwelt us with your presence as a seal, as a reminder, as a hope of the future glory that's coming. God, we don't want to miss a thing that you have for us. We don't want to go to Hawaii and spend all day 
in a bed watching Netflix. We want to say yes to everything you have for us. So God, I just pray that you would catalyze our hearts for the kingdom of God. And that we would humbly go all in and offer everything that we have for this cause and for this mission, for this thing that you've given us to steward.